Well, good morning, church. My name's Cody Labarth. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new with us, just want to welcome you. And uh, it's just great to be in the house of God this morning to worship with, with God's family. And uh, if you're new with us, we're starting, we just started last week a new sermon series titled, Can You See Him? And the, the point of this series is to unpack the fact that, that the Bible has one central message. It has one unifying theme. It has many different authors and was written over many, many different years. But the one theme that we see consistently throughout Scripture is that God is on a mission. He's on a mission to reconcile a fallen creation back to himself. And he is on a mission to redeem a people for the glory of his name who will worship him and who will know him. And we see that all throughout Scripture, even in the Old Testament. And so last week, we looked at the life of Noah and unpacked a bit of how we, we foresee God's plan rolled out in the life of Noah. And this morning, we're going to look at Abraham. And Abraham is a, a very interesting character. Abraham is, um, is known as the man of faith. And he's known that way for a reason. And he just displayed faithfulness and obedience throughout his life, time and time again. And so, this morning we're going to look at Genesis chapter 22. And, and those of you who are familiar with that story probably know it well. It's the, the sacrifice of, of Abraham's son Isaac. And so it's a, an interesting passage that, that even as we talk about it, it raises questions in our mind of why would God ask Abraham to do something like this? But I also would say that it's a very challenging passage and that I believe that it's going to encourage us and challenge all of us this morning in the midst of what has been a difficult week for many of us. And, but we know that God has a message for us this morning. And so we're going to look at his word just expectantly this morning. And so if you'll look on the screen with me, just to unpack a bit, before we get to Genesis 22, we just kind of want to understand who was this man Abraham. It's going to help us understand why what God asked him to do in Genesis 22 is so significant. And we see Abraham come on the scene really early on in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is called out by God. Abraham was a, was a pagan man who, who, from the scriptures, we don't see any evidence that he was seeking God that he was a, a God-honoring man, but that God appears to him and calls him out and says, I'm going to send you to a land that's not your own, that you don't know. And not only that, I'm going to give you that land, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. And one of the great promises of all of Scripture is in Genesis 12, where God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a great nation. And through you, every family on earth is going to be blessed. And so we see early on in, in Abraham's life that the mission of God is clear in his life, that ultimately Abraham's going to be a blessing to the entire earth. And then again, we continue to read about Abraham. We get to Genesis 15, and God renews that promise with Abraham in Genesis 15. And, and the highlight of Genesis 15 is it says that, that Abraham received this promise from God, again, that he was going to become a great people and it said that his belief was counted to him as righteousness. And so Abraham, early on, is being identified. He's being known as the man of faith, the man who trusts God. And his belief is counted to him as righteousness. The next chapter, 
However, we have a problem. Abraham's been promised this great nation, but him and his wife are very old and they don't even yet have a child. And so they're questioning themselves. God's given us this promise. He's promised to make us fruitful beyond our our greatest imagination, but we don't even have a a child yet. And and we're so old, we can't even have a child. What's going to happen? And and Sarah, being so barren for so long, she convinces Abraham to, to sleep with her servant, Hagar. And so many of you know that story, and, and there's a child produced out of that coming together of, of Abraham and, and Hagar, and the child Ishmael is born. However, this child we see in the scriptures was not the, the child that was promised to them. God had a plan in Abraham's life, and God is the one who is going to see that plan come to to fruition. And so in Genesis 17, the next chapter, God appears to Abraham again and tells him, you're going to have another son, a son. And, he, and, and the prophecy of Isaac is given in Genesis 17. And so even though they've, they've had this son Ishmael, another son is promised that would be the heir to the promise that Abraham was given in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 15. And so in Genesis 17, we see that happen a few chapters later in Genesis 21, Isaac is born. And, and the promise, we, we finally, we see God act. And we see God give him the child, the, the promised heir. And so it's a, a chapter of celebration and excitement when Isaac comes on the scene. However, it's pretty short-lived. And then the next chapter in Genesis 22, we come to this story that we're really going to focus on this morning where God is going to ask Abraham to do something that's going to prove his faithfulness more than he he had ever asked him before. And so in Genesis 22, we get to the sacrifice of Isaac. And we'll read in verse 1. It says, after these things, after all of these things had happened, God says this to Abraham. And it said, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And so early on, the question jumps out, what is God asking Abraham to do? Doesn't this just strike us as outside of God's character, a God who throughout the scriptures is is described as a loving God, a faithful God, a God who was patient and slow to anger. Why would he ask Abraham to kill, to sacrifice his, his son that, is, that has been promised to him? The son whom he loved. Does God not love Isaac? What is going on? Why does he ask him to do this? And I think we have to unpack a few things to, to really understand what it is that God's asking Abraham to do. First off, it, you always want to, you want to unpack context. Whenever you read the scriptures, you want to understand, okay, what would this text have meant? What would, whenever Abraham received this command from God, how would he have processed it, given his, his culture and his context, living thousands of years ago where the world is, is very different than the world that we live in today? And the first thing to note is that child sacrifice, as terrible as it was, wasn't something that was completely unheard of or completely uncommon. Several times in the scriptures, we, we see 
child sacrifice spoken of. We know that the nations that surrounded Israel, the land that Abraham was called to, we know that they were involved in, in child sacrifice. It's spoken of in 2 Kings as one of, the, one of the kings offers his son on the wall of Jerusalem as a burnt offering. And, and so we, just, we see again, time and time again throughout the scriptures that, that as a modern day audience, this strikes us as so terrible, and it was terrible. But to Abraham, it would not have been something that would have, have maybe struck him exactly the same way that it strikes us. And so, so the world that Abraham lived in, it would be maybe a possibility that God would ask him to do something like this. That's not to say that, that God is pleased with child sacrifice at all. The first thing that, that I really want to note is that the scripture is really clear from the beginning in verse 1. It says, God is testing Abraham. And so I'm going to give you a spoiler, spoiler alert here. God is not going to ask Abraham to go through totally with this act of sacrifice. But he is testing him. He's testing Abraham to prove his faith and his obedience to the promise that he had been given in, in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 15. And so Abraham is being asked to do something that to us sounds terrible and difficult and to him would have seemed near impossible to sacrifice the son who the scriptures describe, the son whom he loves dearly and deeply. And so those of you who are parents can identify a little bit of having to give up your only child, the child who, who is in your image, who you love, who you've given so much of your life to and time and care and emotion to give that child up as a sacrifice to God. We can imagine how difficult that would be for Abraham. And all of this is a test. All of this is a test that God is giving Abraham. And, and we see that in the scriptures. One thing that, that helps us understand the scriptures, especially some of the Old Testament scriptures that are difficult, like this one. It's difficult to understand why God's asking him to do this. A, a great way to understand what's happening in the Old Testament is to look at the New Testament and see is this addressed in the New Testament? Do any of the New Testament writers have anything to say about Abraham in this situation? And luckily, we do have a New Testament writer who addresses that. And James helps us unpack this story. In James chapter 2, James is writing to the church and he's speaking to them about their faith. And so he says this in verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by his works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. 
you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. We'll skip over that last part because I think James, he just explained it for us, right? God is testing Abraham to do what? To prove his faithfulness. Abraham's already believed God. God God knows Abraham's heart. God knows that he trusts him and he believes in him and he believes his promises. Now he's saying, okay, I know that you believe it. I know in your heart that you believe it. Prove it by your works. Complete your faith by your works. And what, what, a, what a, could he think of anything more difficult, more impossible to ask Abraham to do than to offer his only son on the, on the altar, the son that, that is the, the heir of the promise that he had been given, that he was going to bless the world. It's all going to happen through Isaac. And God's saying, I want you to, to give me your son. And so the test is here, can Abraham do it? Does he trust God that much? Does he have that much faith? And so we're going to see what happens. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So we see that Abraham did not delay in his obedience. What kind of character did this man Abraham have? What kind of faith did he have? We could imagine if we had been asked to do something half this difficult, if I am asked to do something half this difficult, I know from my own experience, I kick against it, I fight against it. I'm like, God, are you sure? Is this really what you're calling me to? Do you want me to give that much money? Do you want me to to go out of my way and give up this much time on my weekend to serve this person? You know, things that are pretty trivial in the grand scheme of things, I'll I'll fight against that. Abraham is asked to do something harder than, than I can really wrap my head fully around. And what is his response? He wakes up early the next morning, saddles his donkey, takes his servants with him and his son Isaac, gathers the wood, and he goes to the place that God had called him. How amazing is that? There's no arguing, there's no resisting, there's obedience in Abraham's life. Continues on, it says, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place, the place that God had called him to, he saw it from afar. And so, lots of times in scripture, things move pretty quickly. A second ago, Abraham's been asked to sacrifice his son and we see that that he's willing to do it. But three days go by in which Abraham has to journey with his son and with his servants, with the wood, knowing full well what God has asked him to do. And for three days, he has to display the faithfulness that, no, I know what God has called me to. I know what he is asking me to do, and I'm going to do it. That's three days for doubt to seep in. It's three days to say, you know what? This is too hard. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go back home. A lot could happen in three days. But it was three days of testing for Abraham. Three days of him proving that he knows what God's called him to. And he is willing to do anything that God has called him to. I think it's significant that this, this act that God has asked Abraham to commit to display his faithfulness is not simply an act of passion to do something in the heat of the moment, but an act of conviction and obedience. 
that is very deliberate. I think it challenges those of us who have been called to difficult things. Many of you that, that are here in this church this morning have been doing something that you know God has called you to for a long time. That is difficult. Maybe you've taken in a kid into your home and they're difficult sometimes. They're difficult to love. It's difficult to be patient. And it would be great if it was just a week that you had to, had to invest, but, but what if it's for years? And many of you in this church have done that, I know. And you've continued to display faithfulness, to care for someone who's not your own, and to love them, and to be patient with them, and invest in them. And that's difficult. And I think that, that you should be encouraged by Abraham. Those of you who are, who are caring for your spouse, who, who maybe is sick, and, and just requires more attention than they did whenever you were young. And it's difficult sometimes. It's hard to, to continue to be faithful but we can be encouraged by Abraham's example that for three days he didn't hesitate. He didn't, he didn't doubt. He didn't turn around and, and, and throw in the towel and say, I can't do it. But he, he finished, he's going to finish the race and he's, he's displaying the character and the faith that, that God requires of him. I think that we can learn from that example. It continues in verse 5. It says, Abraham said to his young men, so they've arrived at the place where the, the sacrifice is to, to take place. Abraham looks at his young men and says, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, the both of them, together. And Isaac says to his father, Abraham, my father. And he says, here I am, my son. He says, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? <laughs> Isaac asked the obvious question, right? We're here to make a sacrifice. We've walked three days to do it. Where is the sacrifice? What's going to happen? I don't understand. And Abraham says to him, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, the both of them, together. And if we haven't been challenged and encouraged yet by Abraham's faithfulness and his character, look at this response. God will provide. He will provide the lamb for a burnt offering. Again, a New Testament writer unpacks what was going on here. And in Hebrews 11, the writer of that book says this about, about Abraham. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was that in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. What an example of faith. Abraham didn't know fully what God was up to. He didn't know fully what, what God was asking him to do. He knows that he's received the promise that, that he's going to bless the world through his offspring. 
then he also knows that God is asking him to sacrifice that offspring. And those two things don't seem to go together at all. How does that add up? But Abraham has such great faith that he considers that that God has a plan and God knows what he is doing. I'm just going to do what I know God has called me to. And he is going to provide. He's going to provide the lamb for the burnt offering. We don't know exactly what, what Abraham meant by that. Did he know what was about to take place? Or was he, was he speaking figuratively? Was he speaking to, to Isaac and, and trying to, to soften the blow a little bit? God's going to provide. We don't know exactly what's going on. But we do know that he had the faith that no matter what God was calling him to, that God's promise is true and he will see it completed. And he's going to be obedient. His faith was so great that he knew that if God wanted to, he could raise his son back up from the dead. How challenging. He understood God's promise and he was willing to take action on those promises. The story continues. It says, they come to the place of which God had told him. Abraham built the altar there. And he laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, up and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. If the test hasn't been hard enough yet, he's given given this command, go and sacrifice your son. He didn't turn away. The next morning he gets up and he prepares and he departs on the mission that God's given him. For three days he could have turned around, but he didn't. He's going to fulfill the command that God had given him. And if Abraham hasn't turned around yet, the crux of the test is happening now. Can he do it? He's, He's done all of those things, but up to this point, Can he raise the knife in his hand above his son? And can he strike him and slaughter his son? And so the the testing is happening here. We can't, I can't wrap my head around how difficult that moment would have been. Abraham is probably in tears He probably knows the smells of his son. He's probably rubbing his head and crying and doesn't want to go through with it at all. But he's willing to be faithful to God's command. And so Abraham does raise the knife and display the willingness to do anything that God had asked him to do. And God intervenes. In verse 11, it says, The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, Here I am. And he says, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And so we see now Why did God ask him to do this? What was going on? God knew, God knew that God's plan was never to have Isaac offered on, his plan was to have Isaac offered on the altar, but his plan was never to have Isaac killed on the altar. His plan was to test Abraham and see if he was willing to do it. And so the point of the test is this, 
to find out if Abraham truly feared God. And God says, now I know that you do because you were willing to take such action and not even withhold the son whom you love from me. How powerful is that? How powerful that God's plan is being completed in the life of Abraham. And so we know Abraham's faith. We've seen it. He's told his son, God, God's going to provide. I know that God will provide. The writer of Hebrews says that he would even raise Isaac from the dead if he had to. And so Abraham knows that God will provide. And what happens next is that Abraham lifts up his eyes and it says he looks and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so the reward of Abraham's faithfulness is seen here. Abraham had faith that God would provide and he took action because of that faith. And God, the reward of his faithfulness is that God does provide. And instead of having to offer his son, God gives a lamb, a ram that's caught in a thicket nearby. That's no coincidence. And instead of having to offer Isaac, he's able to offer up the ram as a burnt offering. Now this, this picture, this event was obviously very, very powerful in the life of Abraham. Look at his response in verse 14. So Abraham calls the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, anytime we see this in the scriptures, especially in the book of Genesis, where a place is named in honor of God, it's a really significant event. You could do your own study through the book of Genesis of the different times that, that a place is named because of God doing something. But here we see what? That God is a provider. That God is faithful to his promises. And Abraham names that place. The Lord will provide. And it continued to be said even after that act. For many years, whenever the writer of Genesis is writing this down, that it was continuing to be said that day the, on the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. And so the point of, of God's testing Abraham was to, to test Abraham's faithfulness. It was also to display his own faithfulness that he will reward those who trust in his provision. Such a powerful, powerful picture. It continues on, the, says an angel of the Lord calls to Abraham a second time and he renews the promise that Abraham has already been given several times in the scripture. God affirms it again and he says, because you have done this, I will surely bless you and I will multiply your offspring and your offspring will possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returns to his young man and he lives. He says they arose and they went together to Beersheba and he lived there at Beersheba. And so that story comes to a close. And so the question then becomes, 
what a, you know, it's obviously a powerful picture of faithfulness and obedience and God's faithfulness and his rewarding of those who trust him. The question becomes, what does this mean to us? How does this challenge us? How does this encourage us? What action are we to take because of, of this story in the scriptures? And I think that it challenges us in several ways. First of all, I think that this story deeply helps us to understand the gospel. In the gospel, Paul in Romans 8 says this, that we have a God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he also not with him graciously give us all things? In the gospel, we have a father that is willing to sacrifice his son. And not only to come to the point of, of yes, I will go through it with it, but actually going through with it. It's what the scriptures tell us, that, that God's son, Jesus Christ, died on a cross as a sacrifice for us, for our sin. That he took the punishment that we deserve, and he died on that cross. This paints such a vivid picture of the gospel. In the gospel, we have the father that is willing to sacrifice his son. In Christ, we have the perfect willing sacrifice. In the same way that Isaac was willing to, to be obedient to his father and to be bound and to lay on that altar, it paints a picture, it foreshadows the Christ that was going to come and with, with complete willingness offer up his life as a sacrifice. Again, in the ram that was caught in the thicket, we have a substitute that, that comes into the picture. Isaac doesn't have to die but the ram's going to die in his place. And what a, what a beautiful picture that foreshadows the gospel, that Jesus Christ, the God-man, was our substitute, that he took our place. We're the ones, I'm the one that deserved that death on a cross. And Christ was willing to be my substitute. And the reward, the reward of his faithfulness is that he has bought salvation for all men, for every one of us who hears that gospel and believes in it. What a powerful and beautiful and amazing reward. And so I think that this story should challenge us in that way. It should help us it should deepen our understanding of what took place whenever Christ went to the cross. We can imagine the anguish that Abraham went through. We can imagine the fear that Isaac had whenever he was being offered up on the altar. And it helps us understand more fully what took place on the cross. And so as believers, we should be challenged in that way. We should be challenged just to have a, a deeper and fuller understanding of the gospel. And if there's anyone here who maybe has never heard that before, has never understood that, that there was a man, a God-man, who lived 2,000 years ago and, and he died for me and you. He died for our sin. 
and that the scriptures tell us that he rose again three days later. If you've never heard that, maybe you've heard it and you've never believed that, then I would ask you today to consider this powerful picture of the sacrifice that Christ was, was willing to, to go through for us and to believe in it. And so I think that, that we all have an opportunity this morning to respond to the gospel in different ways. So not only do we deepen our understanding of the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ, I also think that we're encouraged to have faith and to take action. The, the writer of Hebrews who, who unpacked the story about Abraham for us just a, a few verses ago says this in Hebrews 11. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. Without faith, it is impossible. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now the story that we just read, it proves that point, right? The, the, the message continues to be the same for the writer of Hebrews. That if we are going to please God, then we must have faith. Number one, that he's real, that he exists. That, that he is the true creator and God over everything. And we must believe that his promises are sure and that he rewards those who seek him, who seek to live in obedience to those promises and those commands. And so I think that Abraham's life challenges us to do that. It challenges me to ask, Lord, what promises have you given and how should I respond to them? What action do you want me to take? How do you want me to live differently because of the promises that you've given? There are so many throughout the scriptures that it would take us, take us all day and all of next week probably to, to go through them of the promises that God has given to those who live in obedience to him. As I reflected on a few I just wanted to, to, to ask the question and to, to challenge all of us. Where are we to trust God's promises in our marriages? The scripture lays out really clearly what the, what the command for a husband and a wife are in their marriage. A, a husband is to love his wife the way that Christ loved the church. And so I have to ask myself, God, you are the creator of marriage. You've, you've laid out in the scripture, you've given me the command, just like you gave Abraham, love my wife the way that you loved the church. Now, how do you want me to do that? What does that look like? That could look a lot of different ways, but am I patient with her the way that Christ was patient with his church? Do I speak truth the way that Christ spoke truth? Do I lead our family in faithfulness and in knowing God's word and, and studying God's word and in praying and trusting God to do great things? Could spend a lot of time here, but I think our marriages are a, are a place where we can trust God's promises and take action because of them. He, Paul continued, he told, he told wives to respect their husbands and to submit to them. Do we have the faith 
in this day and age where the message of our culture is very different? Do we have the faith that it takes to say that a, a woman is completely equal and just as smart and in all ways just as loved by God as a man is? Men are not better in any way than women, but do we trust God's design for marriage? And do we, women, do we submit in the way that God asks us to? Do we display the faithfulness and the obedience that God asks us to display? For those of you who are dating, do you trust God's promises that he has a plan for, for marriage and for human sexuality? That, that, that sex is to take place within the confines of, of a God-honoring marriage? Do we trust that 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 is the only arena for it? And do we take action because of it? Do we guard ourselves? Do you guard yourselves as, as young couples against the temptation to sin and to step outside of God's commands and his promises? Young men, we know if you read the statistics, we know that pornography is rampant in our culture. It's as easily accessible as it's ever been in the history of mankind, and we're surrounded by it. Constantly, we're plagued with temptation to step outside of God's, his design and his commands and his, his promises that those who walk in obedience to him, sexual obedience to him, that that they are blessed because of their obedience? Do we take action because of it? Do we, do we share with other people, man, I'm struggling with this. this is, it's hard not to look at these websites or whatever it is. It's just one example, and I don't mean for all of the examples to be sexual in nature this morning, but it's an area that, that our culture challenges us in where we have to display faithfulness. For those of you, for all of us, not just those of you who are young, as I was about to say, but for all of us, do we believe the mission of God? In Matthew 28, he, Christ said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in my name and the Father's name and the name of the Holy Spirit and teach them everything that I've commanded you. And he promised that he was with us in doing that until the very end of the age. Do we believe that? Do we, do we hear that command? And do we believe God's, Christ's promise that, that he's with us in the completing of that? And are we willing to do whatever he asks us to see that completed? The, the scriptures are clear. The gospel is going to be preached to every nation under earth. And not nations the way that, that we think of nations, that the word that is used there in the Greek means it's peoples. It's not political identities. It's all of the nations, the tribes, and the tongues on the entire planet are going to have a chance to hear the gospel and to respond. Are we willing to do whatever God asks us to do to see that completed? I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe it means giving a significant amount of your income to see that completed, to support a missionary or someone who is a laborer who is laboring to see that completed. Maybe 
you're supposed to go yourself. Maybe you're supposed to give up your child to see that commission completed. Maybe those of you who are in high school and in college, maybe God is asking you to spend your life completing that command. Guys, these are just a few examples. The challenge then is for us to spend time on our own in God's word, reading his, his commands and his promises and asking ourselves, how, am, how are we to take action because of these commands and these promises? What are we to do about it? Do we display the kind of faithfulness that Abraham displayed? And I want to encourage you again that the writer of Hebrews said that God rewards those who seek him. We've seen that in the life of Abraham. God is a rewarder. He asks us to look to the reward and to be motivated by the reward and to display faithfulness in the midst of, of obedience and seeing that reward, if that made sense. That was a lot of words. But he wants us to be motivated by the reward. And as I thought about this, what greater reward is there than, than that which is promised in Scripture? That Christ promised in the book of Revelation that he's coming back, that he is going to renew the earth and creation, and that those of us who, who trusted him and worshiped him and persevered in obeying him and displaying faithfulness to him will reign with him forever and that he will be our God and we will be his people and that we won't even need the sun any longer because his glory will be our light. How awesome of a picture is that? What greater reward that we get to spend eternity with, in heaven with our creator where there will be no more sin there will be no more death there will be no more pain or tears or suffering but it will be a paradise to live with him can we be motivated by that reward this morning and display faithfulness in everything that God's called us to I pray this morning that that we're all challenged by the life of Abraham to display that kind of faithfulness. If you would pray with me. Father, we as a church love you. We love your son, Jesus Christ. I pray this morning that, that all of us, Lord, would display and develop the kind of character that honors you and pleases you, the, the kind of character that Abraham had the kind of character that your son Jesus Christ had, who was just willing to be obedient no matter what you called him to, even death on a cross. I pray that we will have that kind of faithfulness as a church. And Lord, I pray that we will look to the reward, that we will find joy in the reward of getting to spend eternity with you. And I pray that we'll run the race that is before us with endurance the way that Paul said. God, I know that, that I can't do it on my own, that none of us can do that on our own, but we need you to work in our lives and to bring that about as you have promised. 
We love you. It's in the, the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.